1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We're thankful for this word from the Lord, his word that he has given to us that we might know his will. Paul says something interesting in his last letter, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, Paul knows that his days on earth are numbered. He knows that he, his death is inevitable. And he writes to Timothy, uh, his, uh, his assistant, his uh, understudy, if you will, and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All to have loved his appearing. I find that interesting because often when we think about the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we think about the first appearing, we're excited that Jesus was born in the manger and we celebrate Christmas and his incarnation and we know what he came to do. But when it comes to his second appearing... Uh, we often feel trepidation about that day, maybe even fear and confusion. So we want to address this today and think a bit about the day of the Lord, the day of his return, his coming, so that we can be those who look forward to and love his appearing. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. But Paul here is concerned with the day of the Lord. What, is he, what does he mean by the day of the Lord uh, that you see mentioned there in verse 2? The day of the Lord will come. Well, the day of the Lord is mentioned numerous times in the Bible, in the Old and the New Testament. And listen to how it's described, and I've given you these texts on the back of your outline if you have one of those. I'm just going to run through these to give you an impression about the day of the Lord. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. That day is the day of the Lord, God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. The day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. 
Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. The day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Well, it's no wonder that we think about the day of the Lord with some trepidation and maybe even fear. And it's hard to understand even what Paul means when you read these verses about loving his appearing. Well, the New Testament refers to the day of the Lord as well. I've read only one uh, passage in addition to the one we read for our text today. Uh, The New Testament refers to this day in various ways. It refers to it as the day of God, the day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day of judgment, or just simply that day or the last day. He's talking about the second coming of Christ when he will judge the quick and the dead, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. So all of human history as we know it is on a collision course with one day, that day, the very last day. The day, as Revelation says, when the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, will hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That's what Paul's talking about here, when he's talking about the day of the Lord. Well, the question naturally arises as we consider this very difficult truth. How can I be prepared for the day of the Lord? As many of the writers say, who can endure it? How can I be prepared for the day of wrath? Well, you can tell by Paul's discussion here that we've, we've looked at in, here in 1 Thessalonians and, and from the experience that people, that, that we've probably uh, had, if you're uh, familiar with church and religious literature uh, of the day, uh, we, we understand that what people tend to think is that if they just knew when the Lord was going to return, the times or seasons, as Paul says here. If we, if we knew the times or the seasons, then we could certainly be prepared. And maybe it's the way we naturally think about those things. For example, when you're in school, or if you are in school, uh, you, you are told that you're, you're going to be uh, tested on material, and you're given a date, right? You're given uh, the date next Friday. You're going to be tested on this material. So you study up, and you're prepared for that day. Well, just like these Thessalonians who wanted to know the times and the seasons so they could be prepared, many people in the church are this way about the day of the Lord. They pour themselves into the study of prophecy and they carefully observe the times in which we live 
looking for clues, looking for indicators of the end of the world as we know it. Some even go so far as to make predictions as to the time and even the day that the Lord will return. Well, it's not a bad thing to study prophecy. I certainly wouldn't want to squelch your enthusiasm for prophecy, uh, nor would I uh, discourage you from studying the times in which we live. But that doesn't mean that you're prepared for the day of the Lord. Just because you know the date of the test doesn't mean that you're prepared to take and pass that test. I remember when I was in seminary, I knew that I had a final in Hebrew. And our our firstborn had been uh, just recently born, and so my time was divided. And I remember sitting at that test, and it was all translation of Hebrew, page after page after page. And I looked at the first one, and it didn't ring a bell at all. And I thought, well, you know, Dr. Van Gameren sometimes puts the hard ones at the, at the first to kind of scare you a little bit. So I flipped the page, and it didn't get any better. <laughs> it kept flipping and flipping and flipping. I was not prepared for that test, even though I knew the day, right? It's true of us. Just because we know the day of the test doesn't mean that we're prepared. So what Paul's making clear here so that we will know it and not fall into that trap is that this approach of trying to know the time of the day of the Lord, it's futile. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus said he didn't even know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. He's telling us to resist that temptation to try to work out the date of the Lord's return. But here's what we need to remember about the timing of it. Paul uses two similes here, uh, two figures of speech to describe what the coming of the Lord is going to be like in reference to time frame, which has not given us any time frame at all. But he says it's like a thief in the night or it's like a pregnant woman uh, upon whom labor pains have come. So we see see, uh, three things really that we can draw from these two similes about the day of the Lord, about the timing of it. First of all, as we think about a thief in the night, uh, we, we see that it's sudden and it's unexpected. You, you see here, he, he talks about sudden destruction. It comes suddenly. It's when you thought there was peace and security, you thought everything was good and, and you were secure. That's when you're vulnerable. So the day of the Lord comes suddenly. It's unexpected. When a thief comes, a a thief comes unexpectedly. If you expected the thief, then he's not a thief really, is he? I mean, if if you're expecting a thief to come and you know he's coming, you're going to prevent him from coming. So in relation to you, he's not a thief because you're not going to let him steal anything. Thieves only strike us because we're not expecting them. And Paul says that's what the day of the Lord is like. It's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. So there's no use in trying to figure out the time. Well, he uses this second uh, simile. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, there in verse 3. Well, birth pains coming upon a pregnant woman is inevitable. It's sudden. Now, in this case, you know it's coming. Sooner or later, you're going to have labor pains and you don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen sooner or later. It's inevitable. 
So that's what Paul's saying about the coming of the Lord. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. It's, it's going to be sudden. It's unexpected. But it is inevitable. That day is coming. As I said before, all of human history as we know it is careening to that one day. The last day. There is a day on the calendar that the Lord knows about. And it is the last day that we will have this earth as it is. The day of the Lord is not a test scheduled for Friday, February 1st. That's next week, by the way. I looked it up on the calendar. The day of the Lord is not a test scheduled for next Friday. It's an eternal life and death pop quiz that could occur at any moment. That's what Paul tells us. So that begs us the question, how can we be ready for the day of the Lord? Will you be prepared for the coming of Christ? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Are you ready for the return of the Lord? Are you ready for that day of wrath and judgment? So how, do we, how can we be prepared? Well, Paul starts talking about darkness and light here. Verse 4, you're not in darkness, brother, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We want to be that person, right? You don't want to be in darkness. He goes on to say, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Well, he talks about being a child of the light. That's what we, we want to be, right, when the day of judgment comes. We want to be one of those children of light. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'll just give you several references here. This is a, a picture, a, a metaphor, a figure of speech that we find throughout the New Testament. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 36 while you have the light, in other words, he's telling the disciples, while I am here, the light of the world, believe in the light, believe in me, that you may become sons of light. John 12:46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God, who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. At one time you were in darkness, talking about their past lives, or past life, their past life before they came to know Christ. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness. Oh, that's the same one. You are light in the Lord, Walgus children of light. So children of light, that's what we want to be. And he talks about it. That's the, the, the assurance of pardon that we had. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be a child of the light means that you have embraced by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. You have recognized that you need a Savior, that you can't face the day of wrath. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to stand in judgment because you're a sinner. We are all sinners and we all need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the only name under heaven by which men can be saved, and women too, for that matter, and children. So we must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died 
He died on the cross so that we could be cleansed, forgiven our sins, washed so that we could be acceptable to God, so we could be acceptable to Him when He comes to return. And we can be assured that if we are His, He will protect us in that day. But He tells us a bit about being children of light here. What does it look like? You know, if you're not one of the children of light, embrace Christ. If you believe that you are one of the children of light, what should you look like? What, what would that look like? How do you know that you're one of the children of light? Well, he tells us some things that are characteristic of the children of light. He tells us that the children of light are those who are awake. Verse 6 so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So children of light, first of all, are awake. You know, when you're asleep... You're unaware of what is happening. I don't know what happened between the hours of 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock this morning because I was asleep. I woke up a little bit in there at some point and I thought at 5.15, I was like, oh, I've got to get up in a few minutes and, and maybe I should just go ahead and get up and that's all I remember. I was unaware of anything else. What Paul's talking about here is being aware, keeping awake, being vigilant, on the watch, taking care. You know, we confessed our sins. We said something that illustrates this. We confess that we have not expected your kingdom, for we live casual lives, ignoring your promised judgment. That's what it means to be asleep to just go about without any reference whatsoever to the coming of the Lord, to not consider it or think about it, but to put it out of your mind and to go about your business living like the rest of the world. Even as children of light, we can fall into that trap, can't we? I mean, we can be believers and, and we can get wrapped up in the things of the world and we can, we can live our lives without any reference to the Lord or His coming. It's not a good sign. And if it wasn't a temptation... Paul wouldn't have to warn these people about it. He's already told them they are children of light, but he's got to tell them to stay awake. And that's the message for us today. Stay awake, be alert, be aware. Constantly be thinking about these things, about the Lord and his return. And then secondly, he tells us to be sober. Children of light should be sober. Now, certainly he means don't be intoxicated, like being drunk on, on alcohol. That certainly is included in this, but I think he's speaking more figuratively. When you are intoxicated, your thinking gets fuzzy. Your inhibitions go away. And you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You do things that sometimes are, are wicked things. You do things that are careless and harmful even to yourself. And you're fuzzy in your thinking. You can't remember what you've done. Paul is saying we've got to be sober, not fuzzy in our thinkings, clear in our thinking. Clear and vigilant and, and looking and aware of everything that's going on and not dropping our guard down 
or losing our or or, or having uh, our inhibitions uh, removed, but to but to be circumspect in everything. The children of light, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and are are loving His return and looking forward to it, they live lives ready for that day, looking forward to that day, not pushing it aside, not being fuzzy in their thinking. And then, thirdly, the children of light are armed. Verse 8, since we belong to the day as children of light, uh, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Here he gives gives us another picture of armor, a breastplate uh, that protects us. How can we be protected in that day and before that day? Well, first of all, have a breastplate on of faith and love. Faith, first of all, to believe the Lord, to trust in Him, to believe that, yes, He is coming, to believe that I need a Savior, to believe that I am a sinner, to believe that whatever He says about my life and how I should live it is best, to trust Him with my life, to, give, to put my life in His hands, to say to the Lord, I need you, I I need you, or else I will not be able to stand in that great day, and and I need you to save me. That's faith. And to continuously live in dependence upon the Lord in all things. That's a protection for you. That's the only way of salvation by faith. And he also says love. Again, love for the Lord, first of all. Loving his appearing. You know, when Sarah and I were dating... Uh, for a little while, even uh, once we were engaged, I worked at a camp through 30 minutes, 45 minutes away from where she was. And so I didn't get to see her every day, but I loved her appearing. We love when our children who have moved away come home. We love their appearing. We look forward to it and we're excited about it. And if we love the Lord, we will love His appearing. And that's a protection for us. The love that the, 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 or the, the things of the world are constantly being made attractive to us. That, that, we can, they, they, that we're tempted to, to love the world. And, and, and our love for the Lord often can grow cold. We have to rekindle that love for the Lord. And then we will love His appearing. So we think about that he's our Savior, that he, that he has made it possible for us to be delivered in this day of judgment and wrath. Isn't that wonderful? And not only love for the Lord, but love for others. Love that spills out into love for others. That's a protection for us. And then the helmet. Uh, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. So faith, love, and hope. Hope of salvation. The hope that, yes, when he appears, then... Boy, what are we going to experience? Not the condemnation of judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That hope we have, that that love for his appearing will come and we will no longer have to deal with sin. We will no longer be in the presence of sin. There will only just be joy and there will be no sickness or sadness There will be no tears, no pain, no illness. All these things are gone. And we will live with glorified bodies in the new heavens and new earth. We will be with the Lord 
forever, as he tells us uh, earlier in the chapter. So, the children of light. How do you know you're one? You stay awake, you're sober, and you are armed with faith, love, and hope. And then Paul concludes, where where we will conclude, encourage one another, he says, and build one another up as you are doing. As we wait for the coming of the Lord, we need help. Not only from the Lord, but from one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. And we can be assured, as Paul told the Philippians, where he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That day, all that work that he's doing in us will become complete. So that brings us back to where we started, loving the Lord's appearing. I want to encourage you, if you're not one of those children of light, to call upon the Lord, cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior who will deliver us from that day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we thank you again that we have your word. You have given us your word, and, and we know it is from you. And Lord, it informs us about these things that we've been talking about. Lord, we pray that we would love you, that we would love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would look forward to your coming. And Lord, in the meantime, as we think about those things, and we think about the wrath, the sudden destruction that will come upon those who were your enemies. Lord, we pray that we would seek to to reach and save the lost, to take the message of salvation to the world so that they will not suffer on that great day and suffer for eternity. Lord, may we see the seriousness of the task that you have given us to make disciples of all nations. Lord, help us to be better disciples as we make disciples. And Lord, if there are any here today who don't know you, I pray, Lord, that in these moments, even now as our, uh, our, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, that they would be praying to you that you would save them from that day, from the day of wrath and judgment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so, uh, hymn number 184, Come Thou Long.